and it was one of the coldest winters uh, and snowiest winters on record. When my electrician showed up, he couldn't pull the cable because the vinyl on the on the cable was cracking every time he'd unroll the cable. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of the Property Developer Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I've got a great show for you with my first international guest, Dan Barona from Canada. There is not too much to report on the project front as the building industry has shut down for a few weeks over the Christmas New Year period. We're still waiting to hear from Council about our application for the new project. We are now past the number of days that they are required to respond to us, so I've asked our town planner to start bugging them about it. On the current project, we are very close to completing the back 10 townhouses and I'm hoping to get compliance certificates in the next few weeks once works start up again with a view to getting those properties off to the titles office to obtain the titles so we can settle with the buyers or at least have the titles available so that we can settle when we're ready. Settling early on those 10 townhouses will make a massive dent in our loan facility and save us quite a bit in interest payments. Okay, on to today's guest. I speak with Ottawa-based developer Dan Barona from Urban Works in Canada. Dan has progressed from doing renovations to multi-property developments and has some great stories to share about developing in Canada. We talk about the challenges of building during bitter cold winters, dealing with organisations that issue permits and the vagaries of the Canadian property market. I'm sure you will enjoy hearing Dan's story and being an international guest, his answer to my first question about what food he will eat until he was sick was a little different. I have Spanish background and there's this plate over there called cocido, which is real peasant food. It's just chickpeas and meat and um, it's all boiled together and then you you have a soup. I could eat that stuff for four days on end. No problem. No problem. <laughs> well, there you go. Being in our first international guest, Dan, you've done, certainly brought a little bit of uh, character to, to the dishes that people eat. There you go. I also like meat, my fair share of meat here. There's uh, Western beef here in Canada. It's good beef and uh, grilling a few steaks on the barbecue is, is in the summer is great. Oh, it'd be nice. Well, um, it's always nice to have a good bit of meat on the barbecue, well, well cooked. Mm-hmm. Now, Dan, given that you're our first international guest and you're coming from Ottawa, Canada, can you give us a bit of a rundown on your developing over there and also a little bit about the developing process? Okay, yeah. Well, um, we, uh, my brother and I, uh, I guess, got started in developing after doing a few uh, flips. So uh, right after I finished university in uh, when the early 2000s, uh, before all those shows on TV, TV about flipping homes became popular, we, uh, we were doing a few flips and did fairly well. Um, but then the competition to buy houses was, uh, was a little bit too much, so we decided to look for an opportunity to, to develop ourselves. And um, in late 2009, we uh, we found a piece of property and, uh, and started uh, the process slowly but surely. And uh, basically, we will be finishing our first six-unit development um, in early 2017. Um, the process from 
basically uh, what I understand from your podcast, which I listen to on a regular basis, is pretty similar to what you have there in Australia. We have uh, our committees and our council, and uh, we have to go through them just like you do uh, in order to get the either site plan approval or the draft plan. And there's various steps depending on what it is or the density that you want to build. You have to go through different processes, which each take um, different each process has its own timeline um and uh once you have the go ahead from council and the city then you're pretty much you know have the uh the green light to go ahead and uh and and start you know start constructing after after obviously paying your dues and and submitting your your construction application and how long would that take to go from your initial application to getting ready to start construction um, so again, depends on the size of, uh, of your project. For example, I'm putting together, um, a, what we call here semi-detached. So I guess, um, uh, where, where we bought a, a house, a derelict house in, in an up and coming neighborhood and we're tearing it down, splitting the, the lot into two and building, uh, semi-detached homes. Uh, that process from beginning to end, uh, we got the approval in November um, we're going to use the store months in the winter to basically meet the conditions of the severance uh, of the lot. And then we should be having a shovel in the ground in April or May. So give it uh, six to eight months, but it could be faster, uh, obviously, uh, for this process. And then if you're going for um, a, a, a whole site plan, well, then you're looking at about a year to 18 months. Okay. And then actually mentioning the weather, that's a good point. What about construction? I presume that you can't really build over the winter months in Canada. Mm, well, we, we do. We do. We don't really have a choice, uh, to be honest. If not, uh, there's not much that's going to happen. And as you know, the carrying costs um, to, to, to carry a project throughout the winter um, j- just wouldn't make it uh, affordable. So we built through winter. Uh, you hope for the best and hope for a, a fairly mild winter like we, we had last year. Uh, but you know, it, it happens that you do get uh, very, very cold winters and uh, then it gets, uh, it gets pretty, um, pretty, uh, pretty expensive and a little bit more complicated. You, you just, you aim to have your foundation and your concrete settled before the frost comes in, mm. once you have your foundation, the rest you could deal with. Per, you know, you you have big 420 propane tanks, uh, pound propane tanks on site, uh, with some construction heaters uh, in the unit, and uh, that basically helps you keep it above zero, and uh, so you could do you know the work fairly well. And um, God forbid you have to do any masonry work on the outside, because uh, then you have to. <laughs> Shelter that and tent it up and make sure to keep that temperature also, keep the mortar from freezing. Um, so it does complicate things. It slows things down quite a lot. Uh, but, you know, uh, the important thing is you, you don't stop uh, because you can't sit around and, and just wait for the uh, the six months of, of cold weather to, to pass. All right. Well, that's given me a new perspective on building through winter here in uh, in Australia. It's definitely nothing like that. No, I, well, look, let me just give you a quick anecdote. Not this past winter, but the one before we were building. And it was one of the coldest winters and snowiest winters on record. When my electrician showed up, 
he couldn't he couldn't pull the cable because the vinyl on the on the cable was cracking every time he'd unroll the cable. Wow. And then when the plumber came in, his glue would even he if he would put it close to the heater, by the time he would leave it out for a few minutes, it would be too cold to basically cement the pipes together. So you lose you lose a few man days of work in the winter, especially when it gets cold. But uh, eh, it, it's the reality of building in Canada, well, in Ottawa, I should say, in the winter. And uh, if you want to be in the, uh, in the construction and development business, uh, it's just an obstacle that you have to deal with. Yeah, well, we had a really wet winter over well, this winter just gone. So we lost a lot of days just because of rain. It's just simply too wet and too muddy for people to get in and do work. So it doesn't have to be super cold. It can be super wet. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, same, you know, different problems, but uh, same uh, same result. You know, you lose man hours. Yeah, exactly. So tell us a little bit about the Ottawa property market and the type of stock that you're you're producing. Well, Ottawa is um, is a pretty, I guess, safe, uh, uh, conservative uh, real estate market. Uh, prices are are still fairly affordable in Ottawa compared to the uh, the national average in Canada. Unlike cities such as Vancouver or or, or Toronto, which have seen incredible price uh, increases over the last 10 years uh, with average home prices uh, around the seven eight hundred thousand dollars for a single family home auto is a little bit more affordable Uh, actually sorry quite a lot more affordable Um, the main uh, difference between Ottawa and these markets is Ottawa is a little bit of a smaller uh, market town we're about one million people uh, with the outlying areas Um, and it's we're bordered in the, to the north by by a fairly big river, so you're you really can't go north. You can only go east, west, or south. Um, and the city, being the national capital, owns a lot of the property out here. Uh, we have this thing called the National Capital Commission, and they control a lot of property and they have a, a lot of sway in uh, in the decisions of what gets built and what doesn't. Anywhere, the closer you get to the center of town, the more influence they have. So uh, it, it's pretty difficult. But what we do, there's a good mix of, of, of a lot in Ottawa. Single-family homes are doing very well. Uh, Semi-detached homes are doing well. And for the younger or, or market, uh, there's been a, a big condo boom uh, the last uh, five, six years. Uh, it, that's tapered off a little bit. There's some big condo uh, projects that haven't... Uh, haven't seen the light of day yet because they haven't met their their pre-sales uh, targets just yet. But uh, in the previous years, there was uh, quite a few that uh, that pre-sold almost entirely even before construction. And uh, and um, but yeah, unfortunately now uh, the result is there's a little bit of a glut in that market. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people are are stuck with units that are either unrented, uh, unsellable. Or, um, or 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 just empty, really. Uh, so, uh, but all in all, Ottawa is a is a pretty safe market, and uh, very, you know we we have big employers such as the the federal government has a lot of people working here, and we have a lot of school boards. So, employment is is very steady and increasing. Uh, 
Ottawa also has um, a, a very high per capita earnings, as well as one of the highest levels of education in in, in Canada. So um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good opportunity here in Ottawa, and the market, like I said, is is still pretty affordable for not only investment properties but homes, uh, uh, re- residential homes to to live in. So tell us a little bit more a little bit more about your current project, a six unit project. Yeah, so it's a six-unit project uh, in the eastern part of uh, town. There's a um, there's a, a green belt around Ottawa uh, that basically uh, acts. Uh, there, there's trails and everything. So you have the there you have the city inside that green belt, and then you have a big green space, and at the exterior you have outlying neighborhoods. But back in the day, this little neighborhood is one of the only ones within that green space, uh, and uh, they're not increasing the size of that neighborhood. It's called Blackburn Hamlet, and um, we we saw a house uh, on there. Well, it's not so far from where, from where I grew up, and I've always had my eye, eye my eye on this house. And one day, just driving by, I came on the market a few years ago, and uh, my brother and I, as well as a partner, we pulled our money together and bought this uh, little small house and renovated it, got a tenant in there while we were working on the applications to uh, basically sever the lot and um, and build. Uh, we had some big problems with the city, with the infrastructure. infrastructure. They had, the city had told us that where the sewer line was meant to be and go, but when we actually got on site and did a survey and locate, um, it really wasn't what it was. Um, so we ended up going ahead and building, a, instead of seven townhomes, we went with six, seven detached homes. So three blocks of two homes, side by side. And uh, we're just finishing that up now as we speak. Uh, all the units pre-sold, um, so it was great. We're looking at units that were about 2,000 square feet uh, over three levels uh, and uh, with a fairly big garage and driveway for two cars. And um, no, they, 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 you know, I'm very happy with the outcome of and, and, and how they sold in that area. And uh, we set some price records for, uh, for those types of units in the immediate area. And um, yeah, very happy with that. And so what's 2,000 square feet in square meters? It's uh, just under 600 uh, square meters. Okay, so they're fairly generous size homes. Yes, yes, yes. And how big was the parcel of land? Uh, it was about 100 meters by 30 meters. Okay. And it was on a, on, on a nice corner lot. So we were able to sever it on the depth instead of facing forward. Uh, so all all homes, uh, basically they're not condos. There's no tenancy in common or anything. They're all freehold. So everyone has their own... You know their their own access. No, there's no easements or everything. So that's uh, that's basically what we we were looking to do uh, freehold property, and uh, that's what we uh, we came up with. Okay, so it was a fairly big size lot to start with. What about three thousand square meters? Yes, yes, it was uh, it was fairly uh, fairly big. Um, but what I mean, we the problem. Well, not the problem. The the curveball that came was right in the middle of our applications. The city decided to change the zoning 
on this parcel of land or this section of uh, of the city now we could have waited maybe another year or or so and wait for the changing zoning to to be applicable and then we could have put something a little bit more dense maybe some stacked townhomes or some uh you know uh low uh low rise apartments or, or something like that uh but we decided we we were ready to go. We had the plans in in hand. We had all the approvals from all the utilities, the neighbors, everyone, the counselor for that area. We had all the support. So instead of going back to the drawing table, we went ahead with the with the six homes. And speaking of the plans, how did you get those drawn up? What sort of design capability or designers do you use in Ottawa to get plans done? So we uh, a little bit like uh, you guys in uh, in Australia from from what I understand is you have architects and you have your uh, your what we call designers but I think you guys call them draftees. Yeah. Um so you could go to either or. Uh but for something of this size uh, which is based on the square footage of the building um you're not required to go to an art- architect. You basically anyone uh, who has their here in Canada? It's called the BCIN number, which is your certification to draw up plans mm-hmm. um, according to code. Anyone who has that can draw, uh, can prepare plans and stamp plans uh, for you. Up to I believe it's two thousand square meters on the first floor. So if you have anything that's above that square footage. Uh, then you have to go for an arch- uh, and work with an architect. Uh, for this case, since uh, we were uh, underneath that threshold, uh, we decided to work with uh, with a draftee, and uh, he put this uh, put these plans uh, together for us. Okay, and then tell us a little bit about the pre-selling and the finance. Was that a requirement of your funding? Um, no, the pre-sales, uh, they just happened. We, uh, drew, we created a big sign and put it, uh, at the front of the property. Well, like I said, it was a corner, uh, lot and, uh, one of the frontages was on a, I wouldn't say busy street, but pretty, pretty busy street. And so we put it right on the corner. Uh, we worked with a real estate agent to put it on online uh, and we created um, our, our webpage at the same time and along with Facebook a little bit of Twitter some social media as well as the agents help um, we were able to pre-sell the two units right from plants uh, even before we had a shovel in the ground um, but what we did for for this development and in hindsight we should have done it I, I would have done things differently but for that project we decided to build two units so one block first and sell and then build the remaining four um so those first two sold out uh, i think we sold them in 30 days from from listing them so it it went really well um the reason why we did that is because the house that was on the lot uh was still being rented um and we basically gave the tenant notice to vacate and once the tenant tenant vacated, we demolished the house and proceeded building the uh, the the remaining four units. 
those took a little bit more time to sell. Uh, but again, right before construction, we sold units three and four. And uh, right when we started construction, we sold units five and six. Uh, for financing, uh, for this round, uh, I ended up working with a uh, with private uh, investor who um, who basically uh, my lawyer put me in touch with when uh, he was drafting up some paperwork. Uh, he liked the project. He liked some of the returns that we could uh, give him. And uh, we were okay with the interest that he uh he was uh, charging us, and uh, so we decided to go with uh, with a private lender on this one, uh, and it's worked out great. Um, we we were charged a little bit more interest than our regular lender, but the underwriting fees, the administration fees, were much less, and um, there was the flexibility that uh, I just called them up when I needed a, a draw. Uh, I gave him a, an estimated draw schedule at the beginning of the project, and I tried to keep it as close as possible to that schedule, um, and which worked out. But it was, getting that draw was a question of just making a call or sending an email. And uh, within a, a couple of days, I, uh, I would pick up my certified check and deposit it in the bank, and, and off I went. Uh, didn't have to deal with uh, an appraiser to come in and, and verify at what stage in the project I was to get the funds released or anything like that. So uh, so it worked out quite well, uh, to be honest. Oh, it's nice to have that flexibility and oftentimes you're prepared to sacrifice a couple of interest rate points for that flexibility and the speed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, if I had to do it, I'd oh, actually, um, he's, uh, this investor is, uh, who is, well, this lender is actually going to finance my next project, uh, which is a, a smaller, it's only two units. Um, but he's, uh, he's already on board to, uh, to lend us the money on that one. So, uh, I'm glad to say he's happy. I'm happy. Everyone's happy. Everyone wins. So, uh, as long as that continues, I'll, I'll continue to, to work, to work with him for sure. And how come you're going to a smaller project following this six-unit project? Um, this one, it was just uh, the opportunity. Uh, I didn't exactly look for it. Um, it's a friend of mine that was in the business also, and he is, um, I guess, getting out of the business. And it, this was an inventory property that um, that he had, and uh, he no longer has... Um, his Terion license. So, j- just on a side note, here in in in, Ont- in Ottawa, in the province of Ontario, there's um, the Terion home warranty. If you build homes with the strict purpose of selling them, you need to have you, you need to be registered with Terion and register every home with Terion. So, that basically means that you have to guarantee your homes. For up to seven years, one year for certain items, up to two years for other items, foundation, anything structural, up to seven years. Uh, so, in order to get that certification, you have to do some interviews, uh, you know, uh, do some tests, uh, submit some your business plan as well as projected financials. Anyways, it, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but once you have it, it's just a question of renewing your license year over year. So in Ottawa, you have to have that uh, to build homes to sell. He decided to let his license go so he couldn't build to sell anymore. And therefore, he just wanted to offload uh, his lot, gave me a good price on it. And uh, so 
uh, I, I, I took it. It was, it was no effort on my part to find a project. So, uh, so that's why I, I, I did it. So does that mean you have to have this license to be a property developer or is that just if you're a builder? Uh, both. So you could be licensed as a vendor or as a builder or in like in my case, we're both. We're a vendor, we're licensed as a vendor and as a builder. So I could be just a developer licensed uh, as a developer uh, and work with a licensed builder to build my homes. So in our case, we do both. We act developer as build and builder, but I could just as well on another project uh, basically act only as developer and, and subcontract the construction to uh, to someone else. And in that case, who would be liable for the warranties? That one would be uh, I would since I'm the developer. Um, I would put it under my warranty, but I have recourse against the builder. So if someone claims against me, I'll just turn around and say, hey, these homes that you, you know, unit 15 and project uh, East Coast that we uh, we just built, you know, there's some warranty issues to fix. So he would go over there and or send someone over to, to, to address the issues. Uh, but I would be the, the, the main point of contact. But if anyone has recourse against me, I have recourse against him. So it's a little bit like a chain. Well, that's interesting because here it's the builder has the warranty. It's always the builder? Liability. Yeah. Oh, really, eh? Yeah. But do, when you do your developments, do they, um, do they get, do, does the builder give you a warranty on the homes? Yep. Yes? Nice. Yep. Okay, that's yep. good. So on our current project, it's the builder who provides all the warranties. How how long of a warranty do they do they give you on it? Oh, or usually similar to what you've outlined. Just depends on which element of the property it is. So yeah, it can be up to seven years for some structural stuff. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, and then so going with the builder, how do you go about uh, selecting a builder to construct the properties? Well, uh, we do the building well as. As most as we can, as much as we can, we try to do it ourselves. Um, Urban Works has, I guess, two arms to it. There's Urban Works Developments, and then there's, I guess, the construction part. Um, so, if we can't do it for whatever reason, it's we don't have the experience, or we, uh, you know, it's it's a way bigger project than our resources can handle. Uh, then uh just you know acquaintances in in the trades world uh I'll give it to uh one of the builders that uh that I know of that I have a personal relationship with uh otherwise no we we do it ourselves uh my brother is the site supervisor he's there every day uh he aligns up uh, all the subcontractors from the uh, excavation all the way up to the finishing carpentry and, and, and paving at, at the very end. Um, so he acts, well, he acts, he is our site supervisor for our, 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 our own project. So not only are we developers, but we are, we are our own builders. And do you find that gives you a bit of an edge in terms of a bit of wiggle room on your margins? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I don't know, as, as as you know, and some of your guests in, in past podcasts have um, have basically uh, mentioned. Not only do you charge yourself, well, 
charge a project management fee as a developer, but on the construction side, there's also a project development fee. So I wouldn't say we're double dipping, but we have more sources of revenue for the company by controlling both the construction as well as uh, as the development part. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, it'd be good to be have it'd be good to have that building capability in house. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, I, I'm lucky. I have my brother, uh, who's uh, my younger brother, who um, who's just been in the construction business uh, since uh, since after school. He uh, he started as a carpenter, worked his way up. Uh, was always working in. Uh, in the business but always for another company and once we started going with this he uh he was the first to take the leap and said you know what i um you know i'm gonna head this um, construction part and uh so far it's worked uh, really well no complaints no, no brotherly tiffs yet oh tons of those there's been many of those <laughs> you don't have to go to mum and dad do you to try and sort out the problems no, no, and in our uh, mid to uh, to low thirties, uh, we tend to hash it out uh, together <laughs> without too many issues. <laughs> and then, Dan, what's the the plan for Urban Works in terms of projects that you want to take on? Um, so now, uh, as of today, we're looking at a few um, a few projects. One uh, I have my eyes on right now is uh, have some uh, some friends that uh, have, uh, for lack of a, uh, of a better word, they they've been off more than they could chew on this one project, and it would be uh, to build a a ten unit uh, rental property. So there's uh, ten apartments, uh, big three. Three uh, three level uh, apartment building, uh, no elevator, just walk up. Um, sits on a nice lot. They've gone through the process of getting their approvals and everything from the city, but now it's dawned on them that they don't know where to get the funding or how to go ahead with construction, uh, and they don't feel they don't want to deal with that. They basically want uh, and want an exit from the project and basically possibly go ahead and do it uh, you know, on, uh, on another site. So I'm in talks with them to uh, basically step into their shoes and, and build that. Uh, but that would be to uh, to build a lease and, and then hold on to it. Uh, while at the same time, I'm, uh, I'm looking at another townhome site, which we, we could put seven, eight townhomes, depending. Uh, we'll have to have a chat with council to see how many they let us squeeze in there. And um, But we should be able to, to get ahead on uh, on both or, or, or one of those two uh, probably um, by summer 2017. Okay, so a little pipeline of action coming along. Yeah, yeah, we kind of have to. The way uh, the way things are going here, uh, we got to keep uh, we got to keep busy. Um, and, and so far, so good. Because uh, if we don't do projects for ourselves, I know that we can uh, we can uh, work as a subcontractor for for other developers. But uh, that that that's not our our model. That's not our point here. We want to do uh, our own thing. So uh, hopefully, we can line up a few a uh, few projects for the future. And do you use the same design team along the way and consultants? Um, I I like to basically build my a team and use as much as possible the the same people. Um, 
but it ultimately depends on availability. Um, I, I I have my preferences on who I use, and I always give them first dibs on on, on any work. Uh, but you know, it's a two way street. They always come back to me and and say, "Look, Dan, I won't be able to get you know uh, going on this for another." three weeks or at least another month. So depending on availability, that, that plays a big factor too. Um, there's certain people I get along with better or are like their styles a little bit more. And um, obviously it's natural to, to, to want to work uh, with them again. Uh, but again, if they're not available or they can't uh, meet my timelines, though, then I'll look at option B and if not option C. Uh, but yes, uh, there's definitely the, the, the handful of people that uh, I always like to work with. So tell me, what is it you enjoy about property developing and why did you decide to get into it? Um, so we decided to get into it, like I said, uh, because we, we were doing flips and those opportunities were you know, to flip homes. Uh, although there's still some uh, out there here, but uh, they were few and far between. Uh, it wasn't as easy and the returns on those were, uh, were less and less. Um, and also one big thing that, that, that we absolutely hated about flipping homes was you'd buy a home and then you'd tear down a wall or you'd undo something and you'd always be stuck with someone else's problem. Uh, you'd have to fix their problem for actually addressing yours. Uh, so that was really frustrating. And we said, well, look, if ever we build, we'll, we'll do things properly. We'll do things our way and how things should be done. Uh, well, you know, we had that opportunity and we jumped to it. Um, and, uh, and to be honest, uh, we, uh, we went into this a little bit blindly. Uh, it's always something that we wanted to do. Uh, when we flipped homes, my brother and I always said, you know, one day we're, we're going to, you know, build a home here. Or we're going to do this. So you know, one day, you know, enough talk, we just jumped in and, um, we could have benefited from a little bit more experience, a little bit more preparation, to be honest. Uh, but again, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So uh, had I known what I know now at that time, there's a few things I would have done differently. Uh, but let's just chalk it up to a lesson learned, and uh, you know, it goes with the experience. But <laughs> are you ever really ready, Dan? No, no, you you never are. You never are, to be honest with you. Uh, just like the other day at council on, on this next project, some of the questions that came up were just out of left field, and really, there's no reason why I, I so, some conditions were imposed, but they just decided to impose them. And what what are you going to do? So, no, there's nothing you could do to actually be ready, to be honest. And what is it that you enjoy about developing? Uh, I like um, you know. What I enjoy the most is you could have a day planned out and seldomly does it go exactly as you planned it out. There's always a curve. There's always something unexpected that, that, that turns out. And, and I like that problem solving. Um, that's what I enjoy the most is, is basically um, getting that curveball and, and dealing with a problem and then successfully dealing with a problem, sorry, I should say, and, and basically um, – you know, seeing uh, seeing the development through. I also like. I'm a very very visual person, so I like to see the development go up. Uh, like on your Instagram account, for 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 instance, you have all these pictures of uh, various developments and various stages. Uh, I like that. I document that also for my own files for for my website, and uh, I like to see that progress. Um, and then at the end of it, obviously, it's there's something tangible that's there that's going to be there for for 
many years uh, to come. Um, I, I, I get some enjoyment with that too. But where do you, where else do you look for inspiration? Um, inspiration, uh, look, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I like the industry in general, the, the construction industry as much as I, I like the development industry. So, um, not only do I, do I, all, I read often, uh, about, you know, um, uh, the contracting industry and other projects here in the United States. Um, I basically there's some developers here in Ottawa, some called Windmill. There's some another developer in the United States called Post Green. Uh, and not that I know them personally or or, or or give them or giving them advertising, but I really like their types of developments and I keep my eyes on them. And sometimes uh, it's not to say I don't copy anyone, but sometimes when I see some of their projects it just inspires me to do my own project of similar scope and size or 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 style Hmm. okay and what have you learned about yourself along the way along this developing journey that you're on um i've i've learned uh two things that i'm a lot more patient than uh than i initially thought um you kind of have to uh in this business uh as you surely know when dealing sometimes with council or whoever it is uh or waiting around for permits inspections or whatever it is and also uh resiliency um being put in in different kinds of uh, of positions uh, with different kinds of problems, and then just eventually uh, finding some uh, some solution uh, to uh, to to the to the issue at hand. Um, I'm surprised myself on more than one occasions. Uh, so I would say those two uh, those two uh, those two things. And and what's the most difficult business decision that you've had to make in your business? Um, most difficult position, uh, sorry, decision has been, um, deciding, um, on, uh, on which partners, uh, to, to go with, uh, in the project, uh, in this project. We, um, I talk a lot about, uh, my brother being a partner, but we also have, uh, a, a partner who is, um, for lack of a better word, silent and, um, he, you know, it, it wasn't intended to be that way. It just turned out to be that way. And, um, you know, had I, had I you know, known, let's just say, um, I would have uh, done things uh, quite differently or, or, or gone with, uh, with someone else. Okay. And if you could go back in time and talk to a younger Dan, what time would that be and what would you say to him? It would be uh, towards the tail end of uh, of university, my second last year or last year of university, and uh, I would tell them not to wait around uh, before uh, try having a go uh, at the development world. Uh, I waited a good um, a good ten years uh, between the time I finished my studies at university uh, until I um, actually jumped in with two feet into the development world and um, in hindsight I, I just wish I would have started sooner <laughs> very common response I yeah. to say. and what do you reckon you've had to sacrifice along the way to get to where you are now um, sacrificed a uh, well, uh, a lot of obviously uh, a lot of social uh, sacrifices um, 
we uh, we we were a very close group of friends that uh, always did uh, many things together, either after work uh, or evenings and and weekends. Um, but obviously, with you know the development world, uh, you were always either on the lookout or meeting agents or working like just a few moments ago. Uh, the draft I'm working with um, was here uh, at my house. We were going over some plans for the uh, the upcoming project. Um, so on the social uh, aspect, that uh, that no longer exists, and obviously with two kids, it exists even less. Um, and then there's the um, there's the um, sorry uh, the the family life. Um, I've I've had to spend some weekends on site. Uh, working, uh, helping also uh, finish up some projects to make sure that we delivered them on time. Um, so there, I've missed quite a few family, I guess, events or uh, parties, and not only my personal family, but also uh, my girlfriend's side of the family. And, uh, you know, it's in the back of your mind, but, you know, it's, uh, it's a sacrifice that you make uh, looking to the future and hoping that, uh, you know, in the future it, it, it pays off and you, you won't have to miss those things in the future because someone else will, will, will be doing that for you. Uh, yes, sacrificing time is, uh, again, I think another common issue that developers face, <laughs> missing out yeah. on events when things are really busy. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, you know, like I said, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I feel like I'm repeating a lot of the, the answers that people have been saying, but it, it's, it's true. It's true. It's yeah. the fact of the matter. It's quite true. Now tell us, what's your, your top tip for other developers out there, Dan? Well, uh, my top tip for developers, um, especially here, and it's relative to my experience in in Ottawa, Canada, is uh, is to not give up. It's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of red tape and levels of government that you have to deal with, uh, but don't give up because um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel eventually, and uh, to be persistent. Um, sometimes your file doesn't move as quickly through uh, through council and through the city as you would like um, but it's to make those phone calls and to be polite and just get it pushed through to the next level and making sure uh, it gets there but uh, to be patient and, and not give up yeah it's a fine line isn't it between being pushy and politely keeping things moving along it is it is and uh, don't get me wrong i've i've lost my cool on more than one occasion and and called back the next day to apologize but uh it just um yeah it is uh, like you said there's a, a very fine line all right now tell us are you a, a typical canadian with a passion for ice hockey yes very much and so who's your nhl team then my uh while being uh Born and raised in Ottawa, uh, I am an Ottawa Senators fan. Um, not having exactly the best season so far this year, but it's still fairly early. Um, I don't think we're going to win any championships or anything, but uh, second half of the season is is, is looking uh, it's looking promising. We have some young talent. Uh, it should be um, should be uh, uh, the the future looks pretty good. All right, Dan, where can people find out more about you or about Urban Works? 
Well, um, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, we're at UrbanWorks, at UrbanWorks, uh, UrbanWorks Developments on, on Facebook. And we have uh, our webpage, UrbanWorks.ca. Uh, and uh, my contact information is on there, but it's uh, really easy. It's uh, dbarona at UrbanWorks.ca. And uh, yeah, you could reach me on there pretty much any time. Fantastic. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being the first international guest on the Property Developer Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for the time. Uh, it's the first podcast I've ever done, and it's been uh, really enjoyable. So uh, thank you for the invite, Justin. Greatly appreciate it. No, it's great to talk to you and hear how things are done over in Canada. We wish you all the best with your projects and keep us updated about how they go. Thank you very much. I definitely will, and uh, you know I'll be listening to your podcast uh, you know regularly. So keep up the good work and uh, keep up bringing the good guests. Uh, it's uh, very interesting. Keep it up. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Justin. Okay, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Dan Barona. It was interesting to hear about the developing process in Canada and how it is fairly similar, and also that many of the challenges are the same as here in Australia. Here are the three lessons I took out of the discussion. One, there will always be obstacles to overcome. It doesn't matter what state, territory or country you are in, there will always be challenges you will have to overcome with your developing, whether that's dealing with councils, finding a site or determining the best product to build. So you need to anticipate these problems and solve them along the way. Two, development costs need to allow for local conditions. Dan talked about what is involved with building in Canada over winter and having propane gas heaters in place. This is a good point about being aware of all your development costs and including them in your feasibility of project budget. Each area will have its own consideration and you may need to allow for rock removal if rock is known in the area or extra costs for footings and foundations if the soil at your site is poor. Three, you can seek inspiration from international projects and developers. Dan mentioned how he likes some of the projects being done by US developers and how they inspire him. It reminded me that you can look further afield than your local market for ideas and ways to design and deliver projects. Are you looking abroad for great developers and exciting projects that can inspire you to try something new? In the age of Google and the internet, it's easier than ever to find and follow great developers around the world. Alright, that's just about it for episode 27. Thanks for listening in. Remember, you can find me on Instagram at Property Developer Podcast for my latest property development pictures and videos. And you can find all the previous episodes of the show at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. So until next time, make all your electrical cables unroll without cracking from the cold. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.